Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton, and this is episode three in our current podcast series. Freedom Matters Today looks at freedom from a Christian perspective. Today, who is your enemy? That is the theme. Who is your enemy? I have always had a problem with the idea of an enemy. It is such a strong word, involving such deep emotion and containing such intimate expectations. The etymology of the word in English is interesting. It derives itself from Latin and French, rather ironic, really, since the English have fought both nations and killed Italians and the French over the centuries in war. One meaning is an enemy is someone who is not a friend, which seems rather extreme, to say the least. Does it mean that you end friendship with someone, they become your enemy? Other definitions assert a more demonic or uh, evil connotation with the idea of an enemy. The enemy is someone who is an adversary or even someone like the devil. None of these European attempts at trying to come to terms with hatred have been very satisfactory. They suggest a nightmarish world of distrust, suspicion and caution. It is perhaps apt in a way describing a West run by church states that were killing people down through the centuries and imposing their twisted and ungodly versions of Christianity on those who refused to conform. The list in churches of who was an enemy was miles long, and it's a miracle any of us ever survived. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, the, wo- the word enemy in Greek means an adversary, ekthros. Strong's Concordance says that it is a person resolved to inflict harm and someone with whom reconciliation is impossible, someone with whom there is a state of hostility. I find that very interesting. An enemy is someone you want to kill, destroy, undermine or ignore. Who do you want to kill today? Anyone? Who do you want to destroy? The left? The right? Trump supporters? Biden supporters? Muslims? Migrants? The problem of the enemy is a deep and intimate struggle connected with who we are as people made in the image of God. The Bible paints no rosy idealistic fiction about our true heart, motives and attitudes. Cain, in the book of Genesis, killed his brother Abel, his brother, his own flesh and blood. Joseph's brothers, also in the book of Genesis, despised him, and they saw him as their enemy. They sold him into slavery. Jesus confronts this question head-on because the enemies of many in that first century were numerous. Factionalism, strife, sectarianism, these were the banners the Jewish people held high even before we get to the issue of Roman occupation. Love your enemies, said Jesus, and do good to those who persecute you. The church, which fights against Christianity in every age, pays lip service to the good news of Jesus Christ and then turns around and promotes hatred, bigotry and sectarianism. The churches are bastions of hate, memorials to bigotry and testaments to sectarianism. Churches spend most of their time hating not those who have no faith, 
for those who have faith, but not the right sort of faith, not the faith expected or desired, and not the faith that is good enough. It is hatred, not love, that is the language of most Christians today, and that is why churches are collapsing, it is why denominations are dying, and it is why chapels are closing. Love your enemies, said Jesus. But the response of the church is a middle finger to the heavens. Who does the church hate today? Well, the usual suspects, Muslims, migrants, poor people, gay people, lesbian people, transgender people. The list goes on. Pulpits are no longer where the good news is preached, but they are the training grounds for religious terrorism. Many religious schools are not places where children are taught, but where kids are indoctrinated. And I'm sorry, I am truly very sorry, but God notices it all and he is not on your side. God doesn't take sides in our culture war. He is not a Liberal Party supporter, nor did he vote for Donald Trump, nor is Christ an American or an Australian. God is God. And this God tells us to love our enemies. What it means is that you don't have any enemies. Recently, Australia celebrated what they call Anzac Day, a controversial memorial day for all soldiers who served and who serve in war and during peacetime. Australia usually does the bidding of other nations, England and then America. In the early 1870s, the colony of New South Wales had no army and no military presence from England. The English had left, and they wanted the colony to raise its own militia, which for some reason they found difficult to do. After 20 years of dithering and paranoia, the colonies sent their first soldiers abroad to fight in the Sudan, on the other side of the world. Then they fought in the Boer War with the English, then the Great War, and so on. Anzac Day is not a Christian festival. In fact, there is nothing Christian about it. It is an ideological event to brainwash a population to love war, to enjoy killing, and to promote the next war. But in context, it's not as bad as other nations. All the Australians do is march down the street, play two-up, which is a kind of uh, gambling, which is banned normally, play two-up, and then they go to the pub for a drink. In other nations, however, they bring out the tanks, the missiles, the nukes, the regiments, the soldiers, the army, the navy, the air force, and the planes roaring overhead. They march proudly down the street, showing their real power. Australia has no real power in the world. It is a minor player in world affairs, but Australia has a really large mouth and tiny ears. It's really happy that America has promised eternal protection, which means Australia does not really need to bother getting to know anyone else in the Asia-Pacific. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with being a soldier. It is an honourable profession as far as God is concerned. Serving one's nation always is. But God doesn't take sides in war. As I explained in more detail in my book, Is Russia Our Enemy?, God honours the day, and his purposes are hidden from our sight. If Christians want to support anything, they ought to support those who come home, and the families of those who do not. It is also a disgrace 
that churches associate themselves with Anzac Day, applying the privileges and benefits of faith to those who have none. I was asked to give an Anzac Day address a few years ago, and I was happy to do it as long as they realised that I would talk about Jesus Christ and not sing their song of patriotism and war. To my surprise, they loved it. They absolutely loved hearing the gospel. And they asked me to come back the next year and on the 11th of November. What I discovered was that many Christians were in their ranks and they all had one thing in common. They had all been cast out of the church for one reason or another. And that in the church all that was left was an angry group of people who hated each other and they hated God most of all. This is the pattern across the lands in the West. Christians will talk about whom they hate faster than they will tell you about Jesus Christ. We are told to encourage each other daily, and the greatest encouragement we can have is talking about the Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is the antidote to all our enmities, he is the antidote to all our hatreds, and he is the antidote to all our bitterness. Love your enemies, says Jesus to us today. Love them as I have loved you. As Paul says, while you were the enemies of God, Jesus died for you. How much more ought we to resist the temptation to see other people as our enemy? An enemy is a way of talking about a person before the arrival of God on the scene. For it is impossible to see anything that is impossible for God. And it is impossible for God to fail. All things are possible for God, says the Bible. All things. The true direction of enmity is not between those made in God's image, but between people and God. For it is God whose light shines in the hearts of people. And this light is so pure, so revealing, so loving and so true, that it upsets all our priorities, all our dreams and all our hopes. For it is God saying to us, put them aside, leave them alone, let them be, and come and follow me. And we don't like a distraction, and we don't like being forced to change, and we don't like being told what to do. But this is God. This is the God who speaks. This is the God who listens, and this is the God who acts to bring us home. This is the God who proved his love by dying for those with whom there was only enmity. This is the God who proved his love by dying in our place, in our stead, on the cross. This is the God who said, no, this one is not beyond my love. This one is not beyond my mercy. And this one is not to be forgotten. It seems strange to think that Jesus had enemies. But enemies he did have. Most people would agree that whatever Jesus said, he was unjustly and cruelly killed. Most people in the West seem to believe that Jesus was a good guy, and I have never heard anyone argue that Jesus was anything other than good. The death of Jesus produces sadness, a sense of loss and reflection and the world about the world and our place in it. Whatever people may say about Jesus, they all agree that he was a nice guy in the very least, but in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
The politics of his death is controversial. It caused the Holocaust. This is because evil people read into the Bible what they wanted to see and created an edifice of contradictions about the role of the Jewish subjects of the Roman province of Judea, ruled by their puppet king Herod and his descendants. Jesus was killed by the Roman state, not the Jews, as is plainly written about in the Gospels. The Jews did not crucify him, the Roman soldiers did, and his death warrant was signed by Pilate the governor. Pilate acted due to the intense pressure and lobbying of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, that cohort of men tasked with protecting their nation. Ironically, they turned to their enemies, the Romans, to do their dirty work. Some critics would argue that no government would put to death an innocent man. Who are they kidding? Governments kill and persecute innocent people all the time. In America today, a young man is going to prison for telling the truth about America's illegal overseas war and policies interfering on foreign soil. Julian Assange is still in prison for telling the truth about allegations of war crimes committed during America's illegal invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq. The German fascists during their war with Russia went from village to village and murdered everyone they could, from women and children to the elderly simply because they were Russians. They did it because they wanted to and they could, and they filled grave after grave after grave, resulting in millions of deaths. Their descendants, the modern-day fascists, love to talk about the tyranny of Stalin, but they never talk about the work of their beloved leader and a generation of men and women who wanted to reshape the world on the bodies of millions. Of course, governments kill innocent people all the time. Just read history. So the Jews did not crucify Jesus. Peter says as much in Acts when he talks about wicked people laying hold of Jesus and putting him to death. He has in mind the mob the factions in the religious communities who had their role to play, but his concern, his concern was not to blame them. His concern was not to blame them or condemn them, but to bring them to faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. If Peter the Apostle wanted to move from the crime of the crucifixion to the new creation brought about by Christ, why didn't the church? The Bible never presents the Jewish people as the enemies of Jesus Certainly he was despised by some of the religious leaders or factions within them. That much is clear from the Gospels. There, was the, there were those in the temple cult, the priestly class, who saw Jesus as a threat because he focused on a personal relationship with God outside the rituals and regulations of the, of the temple. This also included a sect called the Sadducees, who only held to the Torah as the scriptures of God. There were also those in the lay movement, the Pharisees, who created the synagogues and promoted personal and collective piety. There were also those within the house of Herod and other leading families in Jerusalem who saw Jesus as a threat to their nation. The main concern, however, of the Gospel writers is to tell people about the identity, the actions and the words of Jesus from Nazareth. They're not writing a political textbook, nor do they provide much information about the cultural war during the day of Jesus. Nicodemus and Joseph were two followers of Jesus within the religious cabal of the day, and no doubt there were many others. After all, Paul could rely upon their support when he defended himself against those who wanted him dead years later. 
he said during his trial that he was on trial for his belief in the resurrection of the dead. And the Pharisees also believed that, and they rallied to his side. Despite the problems it presented, the Apostle Paul never gave up his love and interest in seeing his people, the Jewish people, become followers of Jesus. The desire of Peter and Paul for their people to become followers of Jesus was lost on those who created the church from Christianity. The church rapidly became a vehicle for the persecution of the Jews because the church had little interest in the proclamation of the gospel. It is one of the great tragedies of the last 2,000 years. After all, we also share the Hebrew scriptures and there should be a lot more common ground between the followers of the Torah and the followers of Jesus. The hatred for Jews culminated in the Holocaust, which tragically the Jews are also blamed for. It amazes me that even with our enlightened education, many Western intellectuals, educated people and others, still hold to the erroneous and corrupt views that the Jews had it coming, that they made themselves a target, that they stood out and kept up their traditions, that they were successful in business and they preserved their communities and so on. The evil of these statements should never be uttered. We have witnessed many in the German community and their fascist friends around the world defend Hitler and the Nazi party instead of condemning them as deeply and profoundly wicked. If any of these slanderous accusations against Jewish people have any weight, then it means we can kill anybody and they will deserve it. It is my belief that those Christians who seek to place the blame for the Holocaust at the feet of German and Polish Jews and the millions of others around the world are nothing less than Holocaust deniers. The church is full of Holocaust deniers, especially in the West, where hatred for Jews was never extinguished by the end of the Second World War. The Holocaust was evil, pure and simple. There are no reasons why anyone is justified killing another person made in the image of God. And certainly absolutely no reason why the Holocaust can be defended or justified in any way, shape or form. So the enemies of Jesus were those who arranged his death, but he loved them even at the end, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I have written at length in my books about the only one Jesus never forgave, and that was Judas, because he knew exactly what he was doing. He went out of his way to arrange for the execution of Jesus for money. But on the cross, as Jesus hung, dying for the sins of the world, he looked down at those who put him there, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How can we not forgive others? How can we not love others, and how can we not love our enemies if Christ dying on the cross for our sin did exactly that how about today not much has changed since the days of Jesus just as Jesus had few real enemies most genuine Christians today have few real enemies I was told at Bible college the complete opposite that the world was out to get us and all they want to do is persecute the church and take away our money and our investments well, there are lots of people who look at the church and then read the life of Jesus and see a complete contradiction. They love Jesus, they just hate the church. In the church they see tax exemptions, wealth, corruption. 
And in Jesus Christ, they see genuine love, kindness, and empathy for the suffering of others. The world expects the church to take the money and shut up. They expect them to compromise their beliefs for money because they usually do. They did it in COVID hysteria. They took the money and kept quiet. They didn't say anything negative because they're on the take. And now Western governments believe that they own the church and their voice. The world knows that the church loves their money and their investments more than they love God. The world knows that the church would rather deny the resurrection than give up their tax exemptions. The world knows that the church is dying and they're getting ready to turn their empty churches into flower shops and restaurants. Many people expect me to hold to beliefs that they do because I walk with Jesus. Many are so wrapped up in their culture war that they think all Christians are always on the same page. Sometimes something truly evil comes along like COVID hysteria or racial prejudice and Christians must, must stand for the truth and there is very little room to manoeuvre. But most of politics is much more complicated. You'll find that many of us, even though we walk with Jesus, will end up at different points in the political spectrum. That's life. And that is the freedom that God gives. It is Jesus who brought the early Christians together. And boy, they're a bunch of very different people. And that's, that is what it means to be a Christian. For our identity is not in the world or in the church or participation in a particular worldview, but our identity is in Christ. All are one in Christ, says Paul, and he describes what it means to be a true Christian. If you cannot walk with your friends on the left who follow Jesus, or if you cannot walk with your, Trump, your friends who are Trump supporters who follow Jesus, or if you cannot walk with your Russian friends who follow Jesus or your American friends who follow Jesus, then my friend, you are in the wrong. Stop listening to the world and listen to the one who died, rose again, and lives again for us so we can know God truly, freely, and fully. These days, the Church of England is falling apart because some believe in same-sex marriage and others don't. The former argue that they're upholding biblical truth by insisting that churches only marry heterosexual people. This is a nasty, public, awful fight. And many so-called Christians really do hate those who hold to non-traditional non gender roles. Well, King Charles, their monarch, is a divorced man. And the Archbishop of Canterbury, like most bishops in Britain, is appointed by the government. And churches refuse to obey God on so many points already, such as not paying tax to the state. Many priests in the Church of England do not believe Jesus rose from the dead, but they're still allowed to be priests Strangely, in a church that's only concerned about homosexuality, something Jesus did not address. But this church split is not about the gospel, my friends. It's about money. And who ends up with the millions of dollars of properties and investments? If these fascists truly believed in God, they would have left that corrupt church years ago and followed Jesus. How do I know that this dispute is not Christian? This is because it has nothing to do with the identity, the words and the actions of Christ. He's on the sidelines, and the Church of England keeps him there. The ritualists ignore him, and the fundamentalists focus on their wretched culture war. Sadly, Jesus is left alone, and maybe that's a good thing. For Jesus, for a Jesus that is no longer the focus of the church, can be a Jesus who can change the world. The Church of England spent most of its history killing people it didn't agree with, so it's a bit rich of the Church of England to start talking about the Bible 500 years late. 
The Church of England was built on the blood of Catholics and Protestants they didn't like and they murdered a lot of them. First they killed the Catholics and then they killed the Protestants, they killed the Jews and actually they were responsible for the creation of America because the Puritans were so persecuted and killed and brutalised by the Church of England that they went to the other side of the world and started the colonies. The Church supported the British Empire. The Church supported every war England fought. It was recruited to do the bidding of imperialism and was responsible for genocide across the world in the name of God, a sick and twisted version of God created in the image of an angry racist white man. That's the Church of England. And now today, 500 years late, they're starting to talk about the Bible. Today, churches are in rapid decline and it's because hatred is so deep in the Church that everyone knows this. And why would you want to attend a gathering that will hate you, hate your children, hate your wife, hate your husband, hate your skin, hate your background and hate your class? How can Christians be expected to love others if they're not known as the disciples of Christ? For Christ said, if you love one another, then others will know that you are my disciples. But the Church of England is not known for its love. It is known for its support, participation and cover-up of child sexual abuse. It is known for its love of gossip and slander. And every church is a microcosm of the bitter feuds between people over the most irrelevant things. Christians cannot love the world because they cannot love each other. Jesus had so few enemies and he calls us to be the same. Before you want to judge your brother or sister in Christ, remind yourself there but for the grace of God go I. If that's not enough, my friends, then our identity is in Christ. It is not in our gender or in our sexuality or in our pronouns or in our class or in our skin colour or in our background or in our marital status or in our age. Our identity is in Christ. It is Jesus who brings us together. It is the gospel, the good news of God that brings us together. It is the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit that brings us together. Christianity is not about joining a political club or standing for a Christian heritage or subscribing to a political identity, but it is following Jesus. It is seeking to understand how the Bible talks about freedom that comes from God. Who is your enemy? Jesus says for us to love our enemies. And Jesus says to love each other, for by loving each other, the world will know that we are God's disciples. It is a challenge. It is difficult. Loving others is difficult, absolutely. But if God so loved us when we were his enemies, how much we ought to love each other. If you'd like to read more about Jesus and his enemies, please get a copy of my book, Is Russia Our Enemy? It provides good practical advice for people to seeking to understand questions of revenge, payback, forgiveness and healing. It's 157 pages long and there are 10 easy to read chapters. And the point of the book is to encourage us to think about what it means to be a Christian in a world uh, of to, in the world of today, but in a practical way. The irony, of course, is that it's a print-on-demand book published by Amazon. Sometimes it says that uh, this book is temporarily unavailable. Perhaps that's the title, is Russia our enemy. I chose that title because we're told that Russia is our enemy. Russia is not my enemy. As far as God is concerned, Christians do not have enemies. 
I will not subscribe to the political madness of our ruling class that want us to be at war with Russia and then China. There are more Christians in China today than there are Australians all over the world. God is not on the side of America or England or Australia. God doesn't take sides in war. God does not take sides in conflict. The first words that Jesus spoke to the Apostle Peter when he met him were, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter said to him, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Jesus didn't say, yes, Peter, you're a sinner. You're going to hell and let's have a list of the things you've done wrong. Jesus said to him, Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. And the last words Jesus spoke to Peter in the Gospel of John after their barbecue breakfast by the beach were the same words. Peter was interested in what the Apostle John was doing and what Jesus had for him. And Jesus said to Peter, listen, what happens to John's none of your business. But as for you, come and follow me. What does Jesus want us to do is to believe in the Son, believe in the one God has sent. And after we believe, we are to follow him wherever he leads us. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening.